Acts chapter 2. I'm not sure how far we'll get through. I was hoping to hit this whole, kind of just hit this whole uh, section. There's a number of things I wanted to, to, to point out. And Father, as we get into your word, we thank you that your word is a light to us, God. It's truth. And uh, Lord, we pray that as we would um, not just read it and study it here on a Sunday morning, but as we'd read it um, on our own, as we'd gather together in life groups and Bible studies and any time where we might be talking about the Word, that you would open up our eyes, open up our heart um, to see, to understand, and receive um, the richness that you have in the Word for us, God. Pray that you'd uh, teach us to uh, slow it down a little bit and to look deeper into the things that you want to say. God, I pray for this morning that you would do the same in, in our time in the Word this morning. Fathers, we're studying the birth of your church, God, which is us. God, your people, um, scattered throughout the world. We um, desire to be a, a light and a witness and to walk in the fullness of the things that you have. Bless our time in the word today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So Acts chapter 2, we've just come, come out of where the Holy Spirit falls and, you know, the tongues of fire, and everyone's speaking in tongues, and it's all crazy. And this is the first Holy Ghost-filled sermon in the Bible. And so really, even as you, as you read it, you can get some wonderful uh, points from, from Peter as he lifts his voice and begins to preach. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Jews. Um, you know, God in his, in his wisdom, his sovereignty, he did not open up to us Gentiles yet. He was uh, preaching first to his chosen people, the Jews. And so he, even in, in, his, in verse 14, as he begins to um, talk to the people, he says, uh, Peter standing up with the eleven, he raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. So he's talking about his, his countrymen, his people, the Jews. And, and he starts addressing some things. For these are not drunk as you suppose. And so why do you think... They thought they were drunk. I don't want to go into that very little, but, but I've seen some drunk people. He says, well, they're, they're not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. And so that's about 9 o'clock um, in the morning. And so one of the reasons that, that Peter's saying they're not drunk is because Jews actually wouldn't drink. This is the hour of prayer. Um, the, you know, Jews didn't have a problem with drinking. But they wouldn't have been drinking yet. Um, you know, all the historians say they wouldn't have had, you know, been drinking yet. Probably at the, at, at about the noon meal, they would have probably had some refreshments and maybe even started drinking a little bit of wine then. Also remember, they didn't have really hard liquor. It's pretty much wine at this time. There's beer probably too. Um, but I don't think that they, that was even being brewed in Jerusalem. So it's just wine and to have, have be that intoxicated to be drunk at nine in the morning and they're just saying that's not it but why do you think they were accusing them of being drunk have you ever thought of that well they were speaking in tongues which everyone heard and perceived as a language so i don't know about you i mean i've seen some other people speak uh, speak other languages i never think that they're drunk just because they sound different and um and i've also seen people staggering out of chad's place I've staggered a few times in my early, early years myself. And not once after getting drunk did I speak Russian. And so I, I, I think that uh, there was probably some, some silliness going on in that moment. What do people do? We've got a small, small enough group. What do people do when they get drunk? What are some things? They're happy. They giggle. They lose their inhibitions. 
They're loud. They stagger and they stumble. Sometimes they fall down. Yes, yeah, so I, I think that maybe some of these things is what was, was happening with, with the disciples. I mean, they were, they were joyous. They were, they were loud. They were boisterous. Maybe they were swaying, staggering. Maybe they were even falling down. And so some of these things that we've even seen in, in moments in, in the church, in services where, where God is really moving and you might have somebody, you know, laughing, laughing and you go, well, is that of God? You know, I, I, yeah, so I think the joy of the Lord is our strength. So, so I think some of these were going, but Peter t- directs that. He says, that's not what's happening. Um, instead, in verse 7, he says, this is what the prophet Joel spoke about. And, and it says, right out of the book of Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your mo- young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so this is significant because in the, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would fall out, fall on people, but primarily he fell on leaders and prophets and people that, that could make a difference. It, it, what, the Holy Spirit would not just fall onto everybody. And so even in the Old Testament, pro, the prophet Joel was saying, listen, there's going to be a come a day in the last days, um, that I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And, and so what's happening here is he's saying, you know, this is the, this is the last days. This is the next era of God. And, and his spirit is being poured out, not just on chosen individuals, but on all flesh, on men, on women, sons and daughters. All of these things shall, shall, pa- shall begin to come to pass. So he's declaring too that there is a new move of God, that this is another day in God, the last days. Now we've been hearing about the last days, if you, you know, since I've been born. Um, we've, we've been in the last days. Well, we've actually been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. And that's going to be another, that's another message. But there are signs that we're supposed to be looking for for the very end of days. And he's not talking about the end of days, but he is talking about these next days at the beginning. Then, then he starts going in verse 19, talking about the great and the great day of the Lord where it's, we'll actually still waiting for that to come. Wonders in heaven, signs in the earth, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood. These are the things that we're waiting to see happen. And sometimes it's exciting to think about and sometimes it's a little fearful. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm praying that the pre-trib is, is what's gonna happen. You know, I don't want, I don't want to be around here for, for the end and end of days when it gets all rough. So, so Peter begins and, and in this he's, he's talking to the Jews. So he's talking about their history. He's bringing up things that they know about. And he's also proving that he himself knows the history of Israel. He knows the Bible himself. And it keeps going on in his sermon. It says, uh, men of Israel, hear these words. And he begins to preach about Jesus. And he does it, I think he does it politely, but, but he does it very poignantly. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. What he's really, what he's doing, and this is an example for us as believers of how to share our faith. We're all called to share our faith, and we can learn a lot from Peter and his preaching on how to share faith. One of the things he's doing is he's helping them to see that they already know this is the truth. You know, most people know the truth of God in their heart. 
and they are throwing up a lot of smoke screens and trying to wander away from it. And so Peter is saying, listen, this Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you. And he starts talking about the miracles and the wonders. Well, they had seen and heard about these miracles and wonders. Otherwise, he wouldn't be saying this. This is another proof that these miracles had happened because Peter is saying, remember the miracles you heard about and you saw? Jesus did these. God did through him, through Jesus, in your midst, as you know. It says, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. That wasn't an accident. Even Peter, I think, is coming to revelation, probably through the anointing of the Holy Spirit right here, that this was all part of God's plan. And this is just a short time later, after the crucifixion of Christ. It wasn't an accident. The Romans didn't have authority. The Jews didn't have authority over Jesus. They didn't thwart God's plan. How many times in your life, in my life, have we felt like God's plan must be thwarted? It must have come loose and we're no longer able to be in God's plan because somebody blew it too much. You know, there's been those times I'm like, you know, did we, did we move so far? Did we miss it so bad? And, and Peter, I believe the disciples were all looking at Jesus going, this isn't of God's will when he was crucified. But it didn't take long for them to grab onto faith in God and say, no, this was actually, it was done by his determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God. And it was taken by lawless hands and he was crucified and he was put to death. You know, this is an important message for us is that we cannot mess something up so bad that God can't fix it. We cannot do something so bad that God says, oh, what am I going to do now? You can't wander so far away from the plan of God for your life that he's unable to reach you. In fact, I believe he is so amazing that no matter what you do, because he has given us free will, that he it's just so easy for him to just put everything in place to say, no, you are no further away than you thought you were. I can bring you to the place I need you to be right now. I, I feel like God has given me a, a vision. Does anyone play chess? Chess players in here? Um, only a few. If you if you play a strategy game like chess, um, and if you've ever played somebody who's really, really good, I mean they're like the chess master. I mean it's just it's kind of fun to watch them, and especially if they toy around with you. You know I've just been toyed around by chess players before. I had a really good friend Jeff Fisher. He was he was so good at chess that um, he would actually turn around and face the other direction, like his back to the board, and he would play me. And he could win me. He was he was quite quite amazing. And uh, his last name was Fisher. I don't know if there was something about that or not. <laughs> and uh, but I've always thought that God is like the the great chess master in the universe in our lives. But He's not trying to win us. He's trying to teach us, and He's trying to help us to win. And the picture that I felt like I, I got from from the Lord on this is that that He He moves a piece. And he looks at us and he says, you're three moves away from checkmate. Just three moves away from checkmate. All you have to do is do the right move. And, and we in our, you know, stupidity and our ignorance or our rebellion move the wrong piece into the wrong spot, you know. And he moves one piece and he looks at us and he says, you're still three moves away from checkmate. It's like he's always moving the pieces for us to win. And he's always working on things. But, but he also doesn't win for us. Have you realized that? 
Sometimes you, God wants you to just win for me, but he says, no, I'm, I'm going to work through you. I want to I teach you. I want to bring you to a place that you're flourishing. I want you to not to walk around the same mountain again. You know, how many times have you been around the mountain? You know, like, oh, three, four, five times. But, but he wants to do stuff in our lives so that we would, we would begin to see and conquer and live in what he has. And so that, that's just a, that's a wonderful part in here. It says no matter what's going on in your life, God, he, he's at the beginning and the end. He knows all. He's all powerful. And we can trust him. And if there was anybody in, the, in, in the, any time who really could have had a reason to doubt would have been when Christ was crucified. But, but they realized, they knew that he was, had a purpose in it. So, so moving on in, in the, in the uh, passage here, it says, God raised him up, he having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And he starts talking about David in the Psalms. David said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. We can learn how to pray and praise from David. Begin to read the Psalms and just begin to cry out even as David cried out. Verse 27, you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the way of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. And then Peter goes on, he says, Men, brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Why is he saying that? Because David in the Psalms was talking about the Christ. He wasn't talking about himself. He says, My heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad, my flesh also will rest in hope, you will not leave my soul in Hades. He was rejoicing in the Christ himself, and he's wanting to point out that David was speaking of the Messiah. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. We have to keep putting ourselves back into the situation. We're Christians. We live in 2016. But he's talking to a Jewish people who was expecting a Messiah, a Messiah who was going to deliver national Israel from Rome, a Messiah who would come and, and set up an earthly kingdom. In fact, uh, it's, it's important to remember that you know the Jews weren't thinking about heaven as being their resting place like we do. The Jews, whenever the Messiah was coming, they were talking about him coming and freeing their national, their physical land. Verse 31, foreseeing this, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Again, he's putting it right back. You know the truth. God raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having been, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Goes on just a little bit more. David said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He kind of seals the deal right there. He talks about him. He brings up the prophets from the Old Testament. He talks about the miracles, the witnesses. You've seen him. He's rose from the dead. And then he brings it right to them. Let the house of Israel know God has made this Jesus, 
whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. There comes a time for all of us in our faith that, that if you're a believer this morning, you, you came to that moment that you were confronted that your sin crucified Christ. If you've never come to that conclusion, then, then, then it's a, quite possible, and I would say probable, that you, you're not saved. Because uh, until we understand that my sin needed a payment that I couldn't pay for and that Christ did, and that my sin was enough to send Christ to the cross, until I really get that, I don't even need a Savior. See, Christ came to be my Savior. He came to be your Savior. And your sin, my sin, was enough to send him to the cross. And Peter is putting that pressure on. The pressure is put upon us, and that's also the same pressure in a, in a graceful and loving way that we need to help other people understand, is that we don't all get to just coexist and hold hands and sing kumbaya, and I'm going to believe my way, and you're going to believe your way, and then we're all going to get to where we want to go in the end. And that's what the world wants to believe. That's what the world wants to teach. They want to mitigate you. They want to limit us and to, to just doing what we do right here in the, in the building of the church and never have any, anything outside. But Christ died not just for my sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And Peter is helping those Jews know that it was them that crucified him, but that they crucified the Messiah that they crucified God. And that's a heavy thing for us all to understand, is that our sin was enough to crucify Jesus. So I love, I love verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What shall we do? And here's the message. Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promises to you and to your children to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. That's, that's the call. And, and I believe most of us, I'm looking around the room, I believe most of us have received that call uh, to repent and to be baptized, to follow him, that our sins are forgiven. And so, so what, 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 what happens is, I love this, verse 40, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Your version might say crooked. You know, that, that, that's, what, that's a message we need to hear ourselves today. Church, we need to be saved from this crooked and, and perverse generation. You know, we don't have, we don't have cable at, at our house. Um, we do, you know, we watch TV, we watch movies, where we try to be selective of what we watch. But whenever I'm at somebody's house or somewhere where there's cable, I'm appalled at the things that are, that's called so-called entertainment. And the things that you see in Facebook and the things that you just see in, in life and in the world, we are living in a very, very crooked generation. You know, the Bible says that in the end times, people will call good evil and evil good. And there's a foundation, a moral foundation of this, this nation has that you have in your heart. And I, I truly believe everyone has of what truly is good and what is right. God put it inside of them. And people are trying to squish it away and, and push it back and, and harden their hearts so that they can call good evil and evil good. And we need to be saved from this crooked generation. One of the reasons we need to be saved from this crooked generation is so that we actually have something to offer this generation. 
They need the light and the truth and the life of Jesus Christ. And we're not supposed to look so much like the world that you can't tell the difference. There's even this thing with believers going, you know, I'm, I, I, I mean, I've actually heard this. You know, I cuss a little bit when I'm with, with other people just because, you know, I want to kind of fit in so that I can witness to them. You know, be saved from this generation. Repent. Be baptized. And this is the message that we have to give to the world. That Jesus Christ died. I, I, I'm encouraged. This, this message has been speaking to me because I need to be preaching. I need to become Peter and be preaching this message to those that I come in contact with more regularly. I don't mean from here. I mean in my life, in my conversations with others. Because I believe that I, I have the truth. I believe that Jesus is right when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. And there was a, a painting, I, I believe, Pastor Jeff, it wasn't it by, by uh, uh, Booth himself, General Booth, the uh, um, Salvation Army. They were all, all these people sitting on, standing on the dock and, and all these people just floating, sinking in the water. And they were reaching out for help, crying out. And on the dock, there were people and they were talking and they were, some were dancing and they were celebrating as people all around them were sinking and dying and there was just a couple of people who were trying to help people out of the water church we we can't be that we can't be the ones who celebrate and love our life and say thank god i'm saved as the world around us goes to hell we need to bring the light remember jesus's purpose for coming he says i have come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I have come to give them life and life abundantly. That abundant life isn't only found here. It's really not found here. It's found in eternity with heaven. All of us, the Bible says in Corinthians, have the ministry of reconciliation. Every month, or at least once or twice a year, we reconcile our checkbooks with the bank, right? (laughs) And what, what, what do we do? We, we, we sit down and we make sure that what we have written down agrees with the bank. That's what reconciling simply means. So the ministry of reconciling is that we would come into agreement with God. That's what the ministry of reconciliation. Unfortunately, the world wants God to come into agreement with them instead of us coming into agreement with God. That's the ministry that we have. And as, as we begin to proclaim this, I believe that we'll see It says, verse 41, it says, And those who gladly, some versions don't have gladly, those who received his word, they were baptized, and about 3,000 souls, lives were added to the number of disciples in one day. And then, and we're going to kind of close with this little part here. And so they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So we've come to faith in Christ. We're helping other people to come to faith in Christ. And the, the next thing we need to make sure that we're doing is that we're continuing steadfastly in doctrine, teaching, learning from God, Bible study, fellowship. We get, we get that. We get fellowship in our life groups, fellowship at work. But felt not just hanging out, but, but truly uniting under that same, under the, the purpose and the understanding that we're Christians. And that truly, People who aren't saved, they don't relate the same as people that are. We have a commonality. So we need to get gather together with the fellow believers. We need to be in regular times of teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, sharing meals, cinnamon rolls are great, having communion together. But if this is just a once-a-month 
cracker and a juice that like we did this morning, that's not what he's talking about. But sharing meals, loving one another. And and I don't know if your Bible says this. It says, and in the prayers. Some versions just say prayers. And we'll, we'll, we'll do some more on prayer. In fact, Bobby's hosting a, a prayer workshop next Saturday at 9.30 in the morning at PTL. And, and she's going to teach on prayer. I encourage you to do that. Um, it's, a, it's a great time. But, but in the prayers, you know, let's make prayer a, a part of our regular life. In fact, in studying for this message, I was really challenged and convicted. Who's ever felt like saying grace at meals is just gets rote and, you know, oh, do we really need to pray before our meals? The original text, I believe, has the prayers. It's a, it's a definite article in there. There was three times of prayer plus other times also, but, but three, there was the, the morning and afternoon and evening prayers that the Jews would do. In fact, it, it was based on the, the prayer times that the Jews had that a few centuries later that the, the Muslims, Islam, got their times of prayer from. They didn't make it up. The Jews had them and the Christians observed times of prayer every day at around the third hour, the, tw- the, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. They were praying three times, set prayers. You know, and, and well, we say, well, the Bible says just pray without ceasing. I think that we should have an attitude of con- continual prayer. But I was, I thought, well, my morning meal, my afternoon meal, my evening meal, three great times to really stop and to talk to God. You know, let, let our, let our times of meals and giving thanks for the food be, become something that, that we can spend a moment with God and really be thankful and, and lift up a couple of prayer requests and just honor Him for who He is. But they said they, they continued in all of these things, corporate prayer and fellowship and breaking of bread and, and apostles doctrine. We need to be people who are continually in the Word of God, learning, Bible studying, Life grouping together, coming and, and, and hearing teachings. It need to be from, from, from people who, who know the word. Um, we need to be in fellowship. We need to be, I think, you know, having meals together is wonderful. And we need to be people who are praying consistently, regularly. One of the reasons we do that is because it helps us to get our mind off ourselves and put them onto Him. You know, it's, it's nothing magic about praying for your breakfast cereal. God, thank you for Captain Crunch. But just taking that moment, you know, it, it, not that you're relegated to only pray for your meals, but to really just take that moment, God, I'm, I'm grateful that, that you've given me another meal. And Lord, I just want to honor you with my life. I thank you for my family. Let me pray for a, a one or two people, just a moment. See what it does is it slows down our, our day. It, it, it helps us to focus in and keep us focused on him. Anyways, it's already... It's already late, so we'll have to finish up the last part next week, which is actually a great, a great lesson. Let's just pray. Father, we see the example here in the book of Acts of the truth that you were in absolute control the whole time that Jesus walked on the earth, God, and that nothing can happen outside of your, your control. Father, we thank you for the word that was preached to us originally. God, the word that Peter preached, that Jesus died for our sin. God, I thank you that somebody took the time to love me enough to tell me that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior. God, I pray that
we would remember those times, even if we talked about that in communion, we would remember the cross, remember what you saved us from, God, but you would also stir us up to be those who would proclaim that to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family, that you are the way, the truth, the life, that you are the light of the world, and that their sins can be forgiven. God, we thank you that the, the church was birthed in that moment, God, and that you will continue to to give life to your church, to your people, as we proclaim the gospel, as we share our faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to continue, even as the, the early believers did steadfastly, steadfastly in teaching God and the apostles' doctrine and teaching God and fellowship, having meals together, God, and in prayer, that we would be different. God, that we would not be afraid, even as Peter was not not afraid of being accused of being uh, something weird or different. But God, we would we would just proclaim you in our lives. Father, we know that as, as a Christian, there are things that are different about us. And um, God, we welcome it. And we just ask that you would lead us and guide us into what you have for us. We thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit for all of us, that the gift of the Holy Spirit was for us and all those who would believe. God, today, just would pray for extra strength for each and every one in here, God, to continue to walk in you and walk in fellowship. Lord, we pray for those that are battling sickness here and, and the, the, the extended family who's staying at home today for, for sickness reasons, God, that you would bring health and healing. Watch over us, God. and We thank you for who you are in our lives and what you want to be, and we just submit to you and say, God, lead us in guide us into your ways, into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.